Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Good morning. Welcome again to Worship with Garfield Memorial Church. I'm Pastor Scott, part of the teaching team here at Garfield Memorial. Um, As Pastor Chip said, uh, some things changed. Well, some things happened that revealed some things that sadly have gone too long unchanged. Um, and, And so the sermon changed. And I'm about to do something that any skilled speaker... Any, you know, professional orator would say don't do, but this is not about me being a skilled speaker or a professional orator, so I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, I, I, I normally preach from an outline and I'm able to sort of look directly at you through most of my preaching, and, and that's the way sermons normally come to me and the way this whole process works with me and, and the church and God. A lot of preachers preach from manuscripts, and that's cool too. That's, you know, just because it's a manuscript doesn't mean it isn't inspired. Um, this week, I, I feel the burden of being very careful with my words. Careful not in the sense of, of timid, but in, in the sense of precise. And and so I'm going to be preaching a lot from manuscript today, not entirely, which is why I have a podium in front of me. And while I'm going to be glancing down a lot, I just want you to know what that's all about. Pray for me. Uh, and and uh, would you say, Lord God, let everything that I say be of you. If it's not of you, may it be quickly forgotten. If it is of you, may it take root in us and grow in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2020... And already in 2021, we have witnessed acts of extreme violence and aggression. And the acts of violence have affected us differently, but they have affected us all. Our country, our culture, our government, our civilization is flawed. This should not be a surprise. For it was ma- it's made of and made by flawed, broken human beings. Our winner-take-all system of government fosters contention and division that has permeated nearly every facet of public and private discourse concerning political and social issues. We find ourselves in a time and a place where everyone is shouting so that their voice is heard, their position is represented, their side is made clear. But if everyone is shouting, then no one is listening. And if no one is listening, no one is being heard. And our culture is set adrift on the destructive forces of hatred of others, lust for power, and fear of losing what is precious to us. As followers of Jesus Christ, when we are at our best, we turn to Jesus to see how to respond in every situation. But it's particularly important in these situations, in this situation of violence, hatred, and division. 
as members of Jesus Christ's body, Jesus is our example of how to live, work, love, worship, and stay together as community through such violence, hatred, and division of how to live out our mission of connecting diverse people who share a common brokenness with Jesus. And so to hear what our Lord, Jesus, says, I turned to Matthew chapter 5 this week in consultation and prayer, as Pastor Chip said, with Pastor Chip and Terry and, and others who have been praying. And this is what I read there. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 38. You have heard, this is Jesus talking, by the way. Jesus, this is, I mean, this is straight from Jesus. This is, you know, this is not me making anything up. These are the words of Jesus in the longest of his sermons that we have recorded. Jesus said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do that. We're the Gentiles. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I got to tell you, at first pass, that doesn't sound very helpful. I'm going to be real with you today. That's not what I wanted to hear from Jesus. It's not what I wanted to preach today. It's not. You know, really? Jesus, turn the other cheek. This is your answer to violence, hatred, and division. Turn the other cheek. When Jesus said this, though, when he told his followers these things, he wasn't speaking pious platitudes. He wasn't dabbling in empty philosophies or spouting maxims and proverbs from some ivory tower safely removed from the destructive brokenness of the world. He was speaking in the midst of those things, and he was teaching his followers, us, how to live and how to respond to violence, hatred, and division. Now, as Pastor Chip has very powerfully pointed out, when Jesus said, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also, Jesus was not teaching us to be passive doormats in the face of the forces of hatred and evil in this world. He wasn't teaching us to surrender to hatred, lust, and fear. To turn the other cheek is to offer fellow friendship, community, loving relationships. I was going to say to everyone, but especially to those coming at us with violence, hatred, and division. Turning the other cheek is not a passive move of one who has given up 
Turning the other cheek is an assertive move of one who loves God and neighbor above political ambitions, power politics, and self-serving fear. Jesus did not simply teach us this. He lived this cheek-turning life. Jesus lived it. He lived it when he walked peacefully through the crowd that was going to throw him off a cliff. He lived it when he ate at the table and in the homes of Pharisees and religious leaders who called him, who sneered at him and labeled him a blasphemer and a demon. And he lived it when he ate at table and in the homes of tax collectors and prostitutes and other sinners, presumably including people who were violent and destructive and participants in unjust systems. He lived it when he healed the loved ones of synagogue leaders and Roman centurions. He lived it when he suffered and bled in the garden. He lived it when he was confronted by an angry mob who called for his death, when he was condescended to by an arrogant government official, when he was mocked and ridiculed by convicted thieves, and when he was crucified and mocked by the people who were crucifying him. Folks, the incarnation itself, Christmas, Jesus' birth was an act of turning the other cheek as God came to be with us, God with us, wooing us back to reconciliation with him and with each other. Always, always, Jesus was turning the other cheek, offering forgiveness in exchange for hatred, peace in exchange for turmoil, division, and hostility, and love, and fellowship, in exchange for violence. Any one, and, and by anyone, I mean anyone, anyone who wishes to be Jesus' disciple, who wishes to follow him, who wishes to take the blessed and holy name of Christian, which means little Christ, he calls to do the same as he did. How can we? How can we turn the other cheek? How can we seek friendship with rather than revenge against or protection from those who commit such violence, whether it's in D.C., Milwaukee, L.A., or Cleveland? We cannot... We can't live this life, this cheek-turning life as Jesus lived it, if we don't trust him completely. If we don't trust him completely, who can ever turn or the other cheek? Who can ever carry another's burden an extra mile? Who can love their enemies or pray for those who persecute us? If we want to live these things rather than just saying amen to them, then we need to trust Jesus with everything, including our political and our social ambitions. We cannot turn the other cheek of friendship unless we worship, truly worship Yahweh, God alone. We cannot do this unless our hope is in Jesus Christ alone. Because if our hope is in a politician, if your hope is in a politician, you will fall into hatred, division, and violence whenever your hero is threatened. If your hope is in a political party or ideology, whether it's Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or Green Party, we will fall into hatred, division, and violence whenever our party's power is threatened. (coughs) If our hope 
is in a political or economic system, whether it's, democr- whether it's a democracy, representative republic, democratic socialism, communism, or democratic capitalism, we will fall into hatred, division, and violence when our system is threatened. I'm going to put a cough drop in my mouth. You can see that's what I'm taking here. Ricola. But if our hope is in Jesus Christ... If our hope is in Jesus Christ, if our trust is in Yahweh God, then we have the hope and possibility of turning the other cheek, of offering love, fellowship, and friendship, of offering the hope of reconciliation, even with the violent. We have the hope of continuing to live out our mission of gathering diverse people, connecting diverse people who share a common brokenness with Jesus, then we can listen rather than fearfully shouting back. We can see people rather than labeling them, and we can love rather than hating. If we put our whole hope and our trust in Jesus Christ and surrender our self-serving fear, hatred, violence, and division, we can then see three things. Three things. One, we can see that we share a common brokenness. This is, as our mission and vision team has been meeting for the past, what, 10, 9, 10 months now? We just met for eight hours yesterday, seven, something like that. This is this thing that God has been laying, the Holy Spirit has been putting into the hearts and minds of the folks on that team that, that this is our vision and our mission, that we are a church connecting diverse people who share a common brokenness with Jesus. Think of that tax collector and the Pharisee that were praying together at the temple. Remember them? Remember them? They got together and prayed, and that Pharisee, that Pharisee was so convinced and so dependent on and had such great hope in his own righteousness, in his own own sense of vision and his own just cause that he prayed with peripheral vision. He was looking out of the corner of his eye instead of looking at God and focusing on his own self. He was looking out of the corner of his eye and he saw that tax collector and instead of praising God for having mercy on him, he said, God, thank you that I'm not like the tax collector. And he was praying violence and division in the house of the Lord. But that tax collector... That tax collector prayed with tunnel vision. And in that tunnel, he was aware of only two things. The light of the holy and powerful and gracious God coming at him like a freight train from the other direction. And his own brokenness and sin. And all he could pray was, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Both of these folks were broken. Jesus made that clear. Jesus never said the tax collector was sinless and pure. And he specifically identified the problems of the Pharisees repeatedly. But he said only one of them went home right with God that day. And it was the Pharisee, the one who recognized his brokenness and focused on God and his own sin and his need for mercy rather than other folks' problems out of the corner of his eye, if we trust in God completely, we can see that we share a common brokenness. We can't see it if we're depending on our own self-righteousness to get us there. We can't see it. We'll only see other people's brokenness. We've got to trust in God so we can see our common brokenness. The second thing we'll see is that we are called to a common sacrifice. 
Jesus said this in those verses I read earlier. He said, give to everyone who begs from you. Give to everyone who asks to borrow money from you. Jesus said it when he said, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other also. If someone asks for you to carry their stuff for a mile, carry it two miles. There's sacrifice in every single one of those statements. We have to give up at the very, very least... We have to give up our right to a pound of flesh and an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And we're not called to identical sacrifice. Everyone's called to sacrifice, but what we sacrifice is going to depend on where we come from. Even the law of Moses, God made that clear in the law of Moses, particularly with regard to the poor, that that the wealthy gave one sacrifice and the poor gave a different sacrifice because the poor couldn't afford the sacrifice that the wealthy gave. Where we come from, our background, our heritage, our life experiences as as individuals and families and people groups will change what sacrifice we give, what specific sacrifice. But we all have to sacrifice. We all have to sacrifice giving up our pound of flesh, going the extra mile. That's a sacrifice that you and I it takes a little bit to wrap our brains around because it was a very culturally specific thing in Jesus' day. You see, the Roman government had invaded and occupied Palestine, and Roman soldiers could, by law, point to anyone there, Jew, Gentile, Palestine, whoever it was, and demand that they carry their pack for one mile. The law said they could do, command you to carry it for one mile, and you had to do it, according to the law. Jesus said... If one of those soldiers commands you to do that, carry it two miles. Carry it two. You know what they're carrying? They're helping the soldier that's oppressing them by carrying that soldier's tools of oppression. That's sacrifice. That's sacrifice. One of the things that I have come to see more clearly recently, and I, I, I saw it particularly in a book by Sung Chan Ra and Mark Charles' Unsettling Truths, that, that the, oppressors, the oppressors create burdens for themselves when they oppress. It's a different kind of burden, but it's real. If we think of it just in terms of military, what we ask our soldiers to do When we send soldiers off to other countries to do acts of violence and then kick them to the curb when they come back suffering with post-traumatic stress disorder, we need to carry each other's burdens. And that's a sacrifice. The third thing, see, we share a common brokenness. We're called to a common sacrifice and we're called to a common cause. We are called to a common cause. Jesus, on the night before he was crucified, he gathered with his disciples. They shared that Holy Communion, that Last Supper. And Jesus washed their feet. And while he was doing all of these things, his disciples were arguing about which of them was better, which of them was the most important, which of them was best at following Jesus, which of them was most humble, which of them was most gracious, which of them was most good and right and wonderful. And Jesus said... The greatest one is the least. See who can serve the best. And he looked at Peter. I can relate a lot to Peter because I'm a loudmouth knucklehead too. He looked at Peter and he said, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. 
And that's sifting by Satan. That's no picnic. There's suffering that's involved with that. And, and Satan has a purpose behind the suffering. Satan sifted Peter because he wanted Peter to fall away. And Jesus said, Peter, you will fall away. You will fall away. You will fall away too, just like I've fallen away. Satan sifts us, and this all of this stuff we're going through right now, in one very real sense, is Satan sifting us like wheat, and he wants us to fall away. And if you are like me and you have fallen away, then don't, don't despair like Judas. Repent like Peter. Because that's what Jesus said. Peter, when you come back... When you, not if you come back, he declared it, Peter, when you come back, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. I have a common cause for you. You are not in this alone. When you fall and you will, when you come back, strengthen your sisters and your brothers who are around you and let's get about this mission together. We have a common mission in all of this. To be agents and ambassadors of God's reconciliation. We may suffer, but we're all going to fall away. I hate doing advertisements as part of messages, but I I love Shaquille O'Neal's latest general insurance commercial. Have you seen this? He's sitting up in the window of his house, and, 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 and he's talking to the general. He says, oh, there's Susie. I don't remember what names he used. Remember, she left us, but now she's back. And then another person, he left, but now he's back. And, and they left, and now they're back. And Shaquille, and he said, just let them all in. That's Jesus calling us and saying, when you fall away, come back, because we have work to do together. The general's work is making money. Our work is being ambassadors of God's reconciliation. Helping people be reconciled to God and to each other. And that's the extra mile Jesus is calling us to right now as a church. I'm convinced of it. We carry these burdens, the burdens of those we feel are threatening us and oppressing us and trying to stomp us down, that it's their burdens we have to carry in addition to our own. And that image of turning the other cheek may be the greatest image of that. I want to give you a quick example, real-life example of, of falling away and coming back. Actually, it was more coming, coming back. Never mind. Anyway, I was in a church once upon a time, long time before Garfield. Things weren't going so well. I had people writing letters to the PPR, which if you're not familiar with the Methodist system, that's like the HR group in the Methodist system. Writing letters to HR saying that me, their pastor, was possessed by a demon and I needed to be cast out of the church and and exercised, physically and spiritually. And, And we sat down in that HR meeting and the whole team was there and they read the letter to me. And, and I had been studying at that time a lot of the old monastics and their teaching about how to deal with attack. And they said, deal with silence, don't accuse back. And so I just said, okay, next letter. And let's move on. And things began to come together a little bit more after that in the church. And then couple months down the road, the person who wrote the letter showed up at a meeting and said all of those things out loud, angry, in person at a meeting. And I fell away. And I let her have it. And things just got worse after that. 
See, I didn't carry her burden. I tried to throw her burden back on her. In fact, instead of carrying her burden, I wanted her to carry my burden of fear and anxiety and anger and distress. Jesus said, bear one another's burdens. Go the extra mile. Turn the other cheek. It takes sacrifice to do this, a sacrifice of preference and politics for us to be this diverse community, culturally, politically, generationally, economically, ethnically, for this to continue and grow and multiply. We have to carry one another's burdens as we live our common cause together. Again, Jesus wasn't speaking platitudes or empty philosophy. He lives this way, and he expects us to grow into living this way too. Make no mistake, this is not a recipe for political victory. We and our loved ones may suffer. We may even die living this way. The way mature followers of Jesus have lived and suffered and died for millennia. But there's an old proverb that says the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Perhaps if we die living this way, this cheek-turning life, this burden-bearing life, maybe then the churches in America will finally be the body of Christ and grow up into him. But this is not a recipe for church growth any more than it's a recipe for political victory. This is a way of living and loving that prioritizes our role and our identities as God's ambassadors of reconciliation over all other political, economic, and social roles and identities. I'm going to say that again. This is a way of living that and love this is a way of living and a way of loving that prioritizes our role as God's ambassadors of reconciliation over all other political, economic and social roles and identities. It's a way of living that is faithful to Jesus Christ who is our way. Now, it may seem like this way of living is nothing more than futility incarnate. It's like trying to put out a forest fire with a squirt gun. That it's nothing more than giving up to the forces of violence, hatred, and division. But it's not futility incarnate. It's God incarnate in Jesus' body on earth, which is us. And if we're not going to live like Jesus, if his body's not going to live like Jesus, who is? And here's the thing. God is more powerful. That's what I was going to preach about today, about the power and glory and awesomeness of God. Maybe God is saying to me right now, Scott, you need to talk less about the power of God and do more of letting the power of God live in you. Because God's power is greater than any power that we face or imagine. So let's talk less about the power of God and let the power of God be in us, you and me. Yes, we're weak. Yes, we're broken. But Paul was weak and broken too. (laughs) He asked God to remove his brokenness, but God said no. No, my power, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Now that word perfect is curious because it takes us right back to Jesus' sermon that we were reading from earlier. Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What's Jesus getting at? Jesus is not calling us to some ritualistic perfection. He's not calling us to some legalistic rule-following perfection. He's He's not calling us to even some ethical or moral perfection. Jesus is calling us to the perfection of a life lived turning the other cheek, 
a life lived pursuing reconciliation. He's calling us to the perfection of love, which prioritizes seeking reconciliation over all of our other roles and all of our other values. It prioritizes seeking relationship and community and love more than getting our way. Allowing God's power to flow through us and live this cheek-turning life like Jesus, that's the perfection. That's the perfection of the Father because that was how Jesus lived and Jesus fulfilled all that the Father had and commanded and expected. We, you and I, I'll just own it. I don't understand. I do not understand how this way of living can make a meaningful impact on violence, hatred, and division we see around it. I'll own it. Maybe you do understand it. Feel free to leave it in the comments and enlighten me. I don't understand how that works. But that's where trust and faith come in. See, faith is evidence of what we cannot see. Faith in God, faith enough to think and live God's way with recognizing common brokenness, making common sacrifice, committing our lives to a common cause of reconciliation. That living it out faith will give substance to the peace and reconciliation that we hope for. In Jesus' name, amen.